Hello, good people who listen to futureprimitive.org. I am on the phone with Weyer Keohane, and she is an award-winning artist with works in the permanent collections of four museums. She works from Onerica Art Ranch, her Cattle Creek studio in the Roaring Fork Valley of Colorado. Weyer was raised in Europe and lived for 15 years in the New York and Washington DC area before moving to Colorado. She received her PhD in creative arts from the Union Institute in Cincinnati, Ohio. Her artistic beginnings were in advertising field, but she has had many awards, including the coveted Clio, the Oscar of advertising. Since then, Weyer has become a full-time fine artist and award winner for her vibrant woodcuts and her surreal and expressionistic paintings, monotypes, collages, and handmade books. Weyer is also the author of Artful Dreaming and the Art of Dreaming. You can look up uh, Weyer at her website, which is www.weyerart.com. So good morning, Weyer, and welcome to Future Primitive. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Good. So, Weyer, is there anything else you'd like to say to introduce yourself to our listeners? have it on my website, but um, I also have a, my PhD is also in depth psychology, which um, relates a lot to the, my recent book, Artful Dreaming. So that would be, that would be the only thing you pretty well covered it, Joanne. <laughs> oh, good. So um, recently uh, you have written a book about your wolf friend, your wolf that you live with. Yes, my uh, Isabel. <laughs> yes, your Isabel. She's, she's here with me. She, her head just perked up when I said her name. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Well, could you speak about uh, a story for Isabel? Isabel um, came to me um, about uh, six and a half years ago. I was celebrating my uh, five-year cancer-free anniversary, and my husband and I had been helping a dog heal that we had found injured and we found his family and so he went back to the family but we realized that we just had loved having that presence with us um we, we had a lot of cats before that and so i closed my eyes and i just sort of envisioned this white creature and the next day in the paper, there was an ad for her in the rescue ads. And I, by noon, I was meeting her. And the rest is a, a story of um, working with a very wounded and afraid animal that probably should have never been domesticated. But um, we've, we allow her um, a lot of freedom so that she still has that um, wonderment of her wolfhood <laughs> but that's how she came to me and she has just inspired me and healed me and 
As I've gotten older, I've just realized the benefits of doing what what you really love to do, to, as Joseph Campbell said, to follow your bliss. And I am just totally in love with this wonderful girl, and I wanted to honor her. And I sing to her, and I tell her stories. So the book is about the, her favorite story that I tell her. So it's sort of a bedtime tale, which is uh, in humor meant for all of us to read to our pets, but is also a great story to read to your spouse or your child. Yes. <laughs> so it's, it's, um, it, it could be a children's story, but it's also an adult story about how um, rescuing um, an animal not only heals the animal, but heals the person who rescues the animal. Absolutely wonderful. So, um, would you like to talk a little bit more about that, about your relationship and your with Isabel and your book, or shall we move on to dreaming? Oh, well, that's, the book really pretty much tells the story of just how unique it is to um, to live with a wolf. Uh, she's very different than any dog we we had ever had. And also, one thing I do really want to say, Joanne, is that there are some really terrible myths out there about wolves. <laughs> they are tender and uh, sweet, and they you should see her uh, um, groom our cats. Uh, she doesn't chase deer. She, she is so beautiful out in nature with other animals. She absolutely loves horses. So I, I really feel that there's a an unwarranted fear toward wolves that a lot of people have that um, is just not justified and she certainly proves it and the, the people that have won her uh, her trust it, it just opens their heart to have her love them the way she does mm -hmm. because she is extremely selective <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I guess that's all I else I would want to say other than um, the book is, is actually going to probably be on Amazon by next week and um, I hope people will stuff their stockings with it. <laughs> I will. But let me just ask you, um, what difference have you noticed from living with a wolf as opposed to living with a dog? Well, she's very independent and yet very, very loyal. She isn't a needy dog. She would never, uh, like, never run up to a person and just jump on them. She mm -hmm. will wait and she'll circle and she'll want to come up behind the person to smell them. And that's that's one of the major differences. It's her shyness. She, um, mm -hmm. you know, she's she's just not born to uh, trust humans and jump in their laps and you know lick their faces. If mm -hmm. you get a lick from Isabel, it. it it is a fairly major event <laughs> for for people other than probably me, who she um, just has become extremely bonded to. She is she her her ability to hear and to smell is much more fine than mm. than the dogs I've had before. She's very very quiet, very very still. Um, 
she does howl at the moon. They actually do howl at the moon. <laughs> <laughs> but mainly watching her gait, um, she has a different posture. She's very, very friendly with other animals, um, which isn't always true of the other animals, you know, toward her, although that, that seems to be getting better and better. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just, I would say the main difference is her calmness and her, her, uh, her sense of, of, of wanting to be outside. Um, we have a lot of bears and wildlife out where we live. Um, we're out in the country. We have a little tiny ranch. And mm-hmm. in the summer, we always have bears. And she will sit in a certain spot in the behind our house and just make sure she corrals the cats in by a certain time in, in, at dusk. And then she'll stay out there. Um, on certain nights, she won't want to come in. And we know it's because... You know, the bears have been coming, and it's sort of a protective thing. The other thing that's very interesting about her is she knows the boundary of our land. We walked the boundaries of the land when we initially adopted her. She will not cross those boundaries without us with her. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. It I- is. And the other thing is she cannot, being cap- captive, is is awful for her. She was caged for 18 months before we got her because the shelter was afraid of her wolfness, you know. Yes. I mean, they weren't quite sure if she was a wolf or whatever, but every, you know, the vet thought she was, etc. Um, and I think it, that was so damaging to her because I've noticed since then if she just, we bought her this fabulous little stucco doghouse. Yes. She will not go in it. Mm. Will not go in it. She loves to make her own cave. She hid in the closet when we first got her, mm-hmm. or under the lilac bushes, and she loves to be in the car with us. But if you put her in a room and close the door, she just will pace and pant and scratch. And so that's um, it, that's a that's a big difference. Very interesting. She yes. just she needs to be have that freedom. And she is, she's so good that uh, she doesn't need to be leashed. And like I said, on our land, um, I, I just find it amazing, um, her sense of boundaries. Because she knows boundaries. Wow. Well, thank you so much for talking about your relationship with Isabel. Oh, I'm, I'm pleased to. She is just the love of my life. <laughs> oh, great. Well... Let's uh, move into talking about how you weave dreaming and making art, painting, collage, and books. So perhaps we'll go right to the beginning where you had a dream when you were four years old. And uh, yes. I remember dreaming since before I was four, and at four, I had a, a paranormal dream where I dreamed of a, of, of a tragedy happening, and it happened, and I was so scared, and my parents really just didn't know what to say to me, you know, whether to tell me it was just a dream, I mean, they were uh, kind of astonished by it, too, that it... it 
I blocked my dreams for quite a while after that, but they kept pushing through. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the thread throughout my life, through everything I've ever done, has kind of been that dream world um, where I just honor the dream because it can be so powerful. And I, I don't really, you know, work with paranormal dreams or psychic dreams or whatever. Um, in that sense, I treat every dream as if it's a dream, a gift from the psyche or that, you know, um, divine within to help us grow into um, the person we're destined to be. But, you know, sometimes that will have um, that little little deja vu Mm-hmm. that people will recognize. But that was sort of my start with the, just the amazing power and mystery in dreams. I realize now as an adult, of course, that a paranormal dream doesn't make you responsible for what happens, but that's what created my block back then. Mm-hmm. But when it opened up, it opened up with full force. And I searched everywhere, Joanna, when I was a young girl from... 12 to, you know, into my teens Mm -hmm. for information on how to work with dreams and what were were dreams. And it just, it just wasn't available back then. Um, Jung's books hadn't been published in in the United States. Um, He was just getting to be known, you know. Um, So I, I just had to develop my own ways of working. So I made little notebooks and I wrote little poems and later when I learned about haiku, I wrote haiku. I would draw sketches. I made my own little symbol journal um, and just worked with dreams myself and that interest continued into, you know, my education but it also developed some kind of creative juice that uh, I, I saw that if I really wanted to have work, uh, artistic work that was truly authentic, mm-hmm. that my dreams would offer that to me because they were from me instead of being inspired by other artists, which of course I am and I have been, Yes. but not wanting to recreate what they've done, but wanting to create my own, I found that the dream was an incredible resource and I began to share that with other artists and uh, began to write little notebooks and give workshops and, and help people not only work with dreams to become authentic, understand their own psyche, you know, lead a more spiritually oriented life, yes. but also through that to become not only creative, but authentic to their personal creative voice instead of uh, looking to just emulate other people. So, uh, Weyler, could you define what you feel authentic is? Following your own drummer would be, I guess, the the simplest. That, you know, that little voice within that says to us, um, I'd rather walk than do aerobics. I'd rather eat chocolate than ice cream. Um, I'd rather live in the country than in the city. But oftentimes that voice gets stuffed. Uh And we 
become who we think other people would like us to be, especially our parents or our children. We become uh, the person that we think other people admire, or etc. Mm-hmm. When in truth, what other people think of us is just none of our business and should have nothing to do with who we become. So being authentic is having enough quiet time to listen to that voice and then enough courage to follow it. Uh, courage. It, it is just not that easy in our social strata of, of, of this culture to, to follow that. But I have been, you know, you, you, you preach what you need for yourself, right? Yes, I, I feel like I followed that, but I've gotten off track now and then. I feel like I'm really on track now. Mm-hmm. One of the things I did when I left the corporate world in 1984, I began doing seminars for doctors who wanted to quit. They were so um, stuck in their material world that they were afraid to go off and do what they really wanted to do. Wow. And because I had left the corporate world where I was making, you know, for a woman at that time, uh, it looked like success, it looked like a lot of money, it looked like I was crazy when I left it, but I could not go one day longer without following my dream. So I feel like I had some, uh, you know, some credibility Mm -hmm. to help other people do that. And Mm -hmm. I've just sort of continued that path on maybe just a smaller scale where you don't have to be, you know, famous or making a lot of money. You can be just not really doing what you want to do no matter what it is and, you know, work with this process to, uh, to really lead a really fulfilled life, which I believe creates an energy that heals everyone who comes into, you know, our, our presence. Yes, yes, it's the, the gratitude life. Yes. Yes. One reason working with dreams helps with this is that it shows us in our dreams all these metaphors of ourselves. You know, the beautiful parts we haven't accepted, the ugly parts we need to own, um, the little little hints here and there of what might bring us pleasure and joy. Um, and then I find that people, even if they're kind of scared to go into that really deep realm of looking at that shadow self, they will at least explore their creativity, and that will then take them there. Yes. So it can be very subtle, and it's, so beautiful to watch people open up to who their divine self really is and it is it is such a blessing i am so grateful that i was led to this work um and i'm i'm really excited that i finally after all these years i i finally got this primer out (laughs) where people could maybe get started with this without me having to be around you know we're talking about the book Artful Dreaming, a primer for finding inspiration from your dreams. So, um, would you like to talk a little bit about uh, the process of dream work? Sure. Well, I work with many processes. Um, I try, I, in the book, I have a section where 
you learn to work by yourself so that you can get start to develop some understanding of what your symbols are and an area where you can record those symbols. And also, um, over the, the years it's, uh, that I've been working with other people's dreams, all these beginners always have these basic questions, and I try to cover those basic questions in the book, uh, and um, not as, as, as deep as if you, you know, worked on an ongoing basis with me, but just to get people started. And then I also have in the book a section on group work, so that, you know, a couple of friends, two people makes a group, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a husband and wife, a mother and daughter, a father and son, or vice versa, whatever, um, could take these guidelines for the group work and actually begin to delve into what their dreams are trying to tell them. And it's pretty simple. The process that I work with that is just I think perfect for beginner work is you you take each symbol in the dream and you develop a metaphor for it and then you see how that metaphor relates to your own inner world and your own waking life and you proceed from there and in the book I have exercises of how to write a story from a dream how to develop a visual picture from your dream so there's some creative sections and and all those ways are the ways that I begin working with people it's really um the primer the artful dreaming is is basically like doing a little workshop with me if you if you take it step by step mm-hmm. okay and uh, this book can be ordered from your website it can be ordered from the website um, it, what the website does is it takes you to the sites that sell the book. I don't actually sell directly, but it, if you click on, it'll take you to that where you can buy it or give you information um, how your bookstore can order it uh, okay. from okay. the publisher. Um, I, I, I don't know if I can say this, but I, I had an amazing dream last night. You did? <laughs> yes, or this morning. And... Um, Two things that happened, there were more, but two things that happened in the dream is uh, I was uh, in a shower at a spa and I realized that my wallet was missing. And then I was in in an elevator going up and I was really afraid of going up because I thought that when I got to the top, there wouldn't be uh, um, th- there wouldn't be a place to step out. I would just fall down, and uh, it's just really uh, it amazed me. This dream has amazed me. Well, uh, what what were your first um, feelings about the dream? What did you have? Any clue to the metaphors of the wallet, the spa, the elevator, the up? Those would be the four I would look at. Yeah, I mean, uh, the factor of the wallet would be losing my identity. Right, that's exactly what I would get. (laughs) Yeah, and the part that really amazes me is this being in this elevator with this person who said to me, uh, how strange you're afraid of going up. 
and usually you get fear of heights when you're up already. <laughs> <laughs> Not when you're going up. Yes. So what does going up uh, mean to you? I don't know. That's that's what uh, puzzles me. I remember even like a waking dream being, being saying to myself, "This really surprising. I'm really surprised about uh, being afraid of going up." Well, would you give me permission to take the dream on for myself? This is how I work. I don't tell you what your dream means. I tell you what it would mean to me if it were my dream. Then you get to look at that and decide whether any of it fits for you or not. Well, I would love it, and I hope our listeners can uh, get some uh, good guidance for themselves from so this. What I love about this is it shows the process that I work with is one that ensures safety um, and allows vulnerability. Excellent. And that is, when I take on your dream, I say, in my dream, um, I'm, I'm in the spa, I realize I don't have my wallet, um, I feel that something is changing with my identity. I might not quite know who I am anymore. And yet, I'm in a very healing atmosphere, so this transition into my new identity feels very, very healing and comfortable. Wow. However, when I get on the elevator and I realize I'm afraid to go up, I'm, I'm feeling in my dream that change is more difficult than I thought it would be. Um, to go from one place to another may be risky. Mm. So that it actually ties in with my first dream. That both to me have to do with my changing identity and um, the, the challenge that is, that is within that. And I also feel in my dream going up feels very positive in one way, being up, going up. Mm -hmm. And in my dream, I'm wondering if there's something about being on a higher level that is hard for me to own because I like to consider myself humble or down to earth or whatever. <laughs> and so that um, I'm wondering if this transition is, has to do with accepting um, a part of myself that I haven't accepted before, a beautiful part, a part that um, is, is elevating beyond where I used to be. Mm -hmm. And then there's another part that comes to me too, that sometimes going up, you know, flying, being in the wind can have to do with um, thought, the mind. Uh -huh. uh, so that, that comes into play for me a little bit, and I wonder if, you know, part of my fear is, is, uh, has to do with my mind being, you know, uh, maybe more on my mind right now than my heart. So that, those are all the things that come to me if this were my dream. Wow. And then when I get to the top, uh, it's perfectly safe to step out of the elevator. So you see there, for me, it's, it's like, oh, this is a great message from the dream, is that most of what I worry about never happens. Mm. <laughs> and I am my identity without my wallet. <laughs> Wonderful.
Wonderful. Thank you. Is that helpful? Oh, it's fabulous. Thank so, you so much. Joanne, you see the process where when when I take it on or any other dreamer in the group, if you're in a group, takes it on as this is mine, I, I never said you or yeah. this is or you know what I mean? Yes, yes, yes. By doing that, and I talk about that extensively in the group part of the book, it really creates such a beautiful safety. And um, I have so many examples in, in my beginner workshops um, when people are, are starting to use this process and they, they always, always, someone will say, well, you this, and I'll have to just gently say, no, no, please use me or use I, and they'll go, oh, I can't. I say, oh, you can, you can, and they'll, they'll finally do it, and then we'll go back to the person who offered the original dream, and I will ask them, if they will just tell the group how the difference felt when someone said you and someone just was talking as if it was their own. Uh-huh. And um, the, my most profound answer from a dreamer was, well, when they said you, I felt like someone punched me in the stomach. Yes. And when they took on their own, you know, as their own, I felt like I could really listen. Yes. And really take what, what was right for me. That's what I felt when you were speaking. Great. Yes. Great. And wouldn't it be something if we began speaking this way just regularly? Oh, yes. I mean... Instead of giving each other advice. <laughs> it's, it's imperative. <laughs> Absolutely. This is sort of a perfect time for this, but one of the things I found with this process is that people can use waking life incidences as if it were a dream and help each other come forth with solutions for problems. So I will, I will actually take this into businesses and rather than the employees putting a dream in a bowl, they put a problem in a bowl. Mm-hmm. Everyone draws out a problem and from that moment on, they own the problem as if it's their own, speaking of how they would work with the problem. And it really creates bonding with employees wow. and, and, and puts people in other people's shoes because the manager of, you know, the sales department pulls out the problem for the manager of the um, manufacturing department and all of a sudden they begin to understand what they each go through on a daily basis rather than prejudging or thinking their job is more important or whatever. So it works in waking life. It's beautiful in the dream world because of the mystical side of it. Mm-hmm. But I just want people to know that if they work with this process and it becomes ingrained, it can shift the way they approach everything. Absolutely. And uh, I, I want to tell people that... Um, this morning, uh, I did something you suggest in your book. Um, I wrote a poem oh, ab- <laughs> about the dream. And also, I, ch- I check and you suggest that how I'm feeling. So, left over from the dream, I feel a, I feel a mix of fear and excitement. Yeah. So, uh, um, these are very good clues that you give us. Oh, that's great. I, you know, sometimes I find if I have a busy morning, but I want to pay attention to that dreamer within because it's such a gift, um, it makes sleeping so much fun that yes. I will 
on, on short time days, just do a little poem, and oftentimes that poem will give me all I need from the meaning of the dream. It can be quite profound. Perfect. Perfect. So that, I'm so excited that you're, you're already doing this. <laughs> that, I'm, that I'm learning from you. I love that. Uh, oh, it, it's fun to um, keep learning and exploring no matter, you know, what stage of life we're in. Uh, where we live, what we're doing, it adds that that mystery and wonder which uh, makes us grateful for, for being alive. It's the best. It is, it is. Where were, which uh, uh, leads me to uh, want to ask you about your art and uh, what you're creating at the moment and how it feels to be creative on many levels and all that. Okay. <laughs> um, should I start with what I'm doing right now? Yes. Okay. Um, I have been making sculpture out of used tea bags that I, if they're out of uh, cotton or fiber, I, um, mm -hmm. I dip them in beeswax. If they're silk, I don't have to treat them. Uh -huh. But I've been make, I made a um, life-size kimono. And I've made some life-size women mannequins uh, where, where everything's out of tea bags and found objects. Um, and I call them my bag ladies. Um, I've made panty looms and things like that. So there, I, I have a show coming up in January in Aspen, Colorado. Mm -hmm. And it's called uh, uh, Form Fiber Texture. And this is the work that I'm, I'm doing for that exhibition. And I am just having a ball. And what started it was a, a dream. Uh, the kimono started from a dream in which I was in a, a room where the room was like a tent. The tent was this incredible red kimono that made the room. Mm. Isabel sat in the very center of it. And there were a stack of books, and I was just about to enter the room looking at how incredibly majestic it was. It reminded me of, you know, the, those beautiful tents you would see in movies of the nomads and where the king would be. <laughs> yes, yes. But it was a red kimono. And I started just sketching kimonos and playing. And, and um, I did live in, um, for a long period of time when I was in... Uh, corporate world, I uh, spent many visits to Hong Kong and um, over to Japan and um, having been raised in Europe, seeing a lot of, uh, of um, Asian art growing up, I think that was a great influence on me. But this dream was so exciting and I can't tell you exactly why I decided to make it out of tea bags, but um, it I drink tea. I'm not a coffee drinker. I'm a tea drinker. And I love the patina of the used bag. It's just so beautiful. And I think before this happened, I've been using a lot of old sewing machine, I mean, not sewing machine, uh, sewing pattern materials that, that my mother gave me. She was a, a designer and a seamstress. And I just have stacks and stacks of them, and I love the way that tissue feels and the color of the old ones. Uh -huh. Unfortunately, they don't make them out of that old, beautiful, ochre-colored tissue anymore. Yes. And I think that led me to 
the tea bags, but but it started with this kimono dream. So that's what I'm working on right now. It's it's very sculptural, um, and I just uh, I'm kind of trying to notice imagery in my dreams that that would lean to being translated into tea bags. <laughs> Excellent. So is that sound crazy enough for you? Fabulous. I, I just want to say I love the sound of that tissue paper. Oh, that old-fashioned pattern paper. Well, you know, this has been very contemplative work for me, Joanne, because I am I'm mainly working with very handkerchief linen or muslin to make the garment, but I actually buy the fabric, I dye it in tea, so it becomes that color. Mm. Um, on the kimono, I literally drank all the tea that I used. Those bags are all from tea that I drank, and then I put a call out to my friends that if I'm going to do this for a while, I need some, I need help with the tea bags. So I now have containers which which have. Okay, one container has a silk tea bag, one has round ones, one has square ones without the string, the other one has the ones with string. Wow. <laughs> so I've had uh, people come to my rescue, so I, um, uh, I have a, 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 a real inventory of these tea bags, but the contemplative part has been the making of the pattern, the dyeing of the fabric, the sewing of the garment, and then the attaching um, the tea bags and the found objects. Uh, has just been very peaceful work, and it's made me realize something about myself over you know my 30 years of being a, a visual artist uh, or more. Um, is that when I was much younger, the work that we saw uh, in museums and galleries was all by men. The art history text had no women included. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until almost 1990 before the art history text in colleges started including women, and it's still only about 2% of the artists are, are women, yes. which is a heartbreaker. Yes. Um, I realized that that had influenced me, and what's happened now is I'm doing this incredibly contemplative feminine work that I'm... I'm owning that I am, you know, my my being a woman, of course, influences my art if it literally is coming from me. Yes. And I think uh, that's been very, very healing for me. Um, and I have to tell you about another funny series. That yes. I do. It's not really funny. It's actually rather tragic, but I'm trying to add a little bit of humor to it. Yes. I started collecting the art history books pre-1990 that have no women artists in them. And I am bolting them shut, gluing them shut, um, barbed wiring them shut, wow. hanging from the outside either little pictures of women's art or gilding wording on the tops of the books using the title like where it says art history. Above it I will gild, is it really art mm. history without mm. the women? And they become little tabletop sculptures. Um, so that's another body of work I'm working on right now. And I think both of them have to do with me um, uh, just fully accepting and enjoying that, you know, part of my makeup is my feminine nature. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I want the rest of the world to not only honor women artists as they have for centuries, the, the men artists, but that 
Also, I want people to not be able to read that book without the women artists. I want them to have to go get one that has this in it. <laughs> Good, great, bravo. And, uh, <laughs> and you're making me see that um, part of what Future Primitive is, what we're doing right now is uh, women sitting around the fire just talking, women and a few good men. <laughs> well, there are some great good men. There are. So, you know, 25 years ago, I couldn't pay a man to be in Dream Group, and now we're half and half. This is excellent. Oh, it's so exciting. So exciting. And the women who are in the group are so grateful to have the presence of men who are working on being conscious. Beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's just like you. It's, you know... Um, you know, I want to. I, I want to tell about a movie that I just saw. Um, it just premiered, and I bought the movie so I could premiere it here in our valley and invite artists to see it. It's called "Who Does She Think She Is?" Wow. And if you go to the website, "Who Does She Think She Is?" dot I think it's dot com. But if you don't get that, try net. <laughs> um, it will have a little trailer about this movie. It just premiered in New York. On November 8th and it is about this whole um, dilemma of, of women creating goddess work and how um, curators are, are not really looking at it in the way they look at men's work but it's a very positive movie because the, the, the director chose women who are also mothers and how they have be, become artists really great artists who show their work against all odds they have mm. their 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 careers as artists and it is very inspiring mm. lovely yeah so that uh, and I was excited because it it's the timing of, of that movie and my my book art series about women being included it was so synchronistic mm -hmm. and I feel like synchronicity for us is a sign that we are living our authentic life. Beautiful. Yes. I feel that's why you found me. Yes. And I found you. Yes. Is that uh, you are probably right on track with your, you know, divine gift is having your wonderful show, and I'm hopefully on track with my divine gift by creating art and helping people um, uh, find their authentic selves through deep dream work and creativity. Well, I think this is a wonderful place to bring this spiral conversation around. I would ask you if there is something that you would like to add in closing. Well, I, I would hope that people would take advantage of one particular area of dream work, and that's the part that I call mirroring. And it's when we learn to own rather than project and be responsible for ourselves rather than uh, trying to control anyone else or um, put what we don't like about ourselves out on someone else. But yet look at that and own it and see how beautiful all the mixture within us is that creates our, our unique voice. Um, I feel that if if everyone began to do this, we would have an incredibly different world in which people could really see themselves in each other. 
And I think that's one thing Isabel has taught me. I've, I've written quite a few more stories about Isabel that aren't quite ready for a book yet, but the, what I see is when I look into this, this creature's eyes and I watch her, I can, I can see my own frail self. And if I treat her like my own beloved child, then I am treating myself as my own beloved child. And that takes really being responsible for what I think and what I do and for, you know, working with my feelings. And it creates, when I follow that and I do what my heart is guiding me to do, I just think you can't help but be a better person if you do that and other people connect to it. They, they even maybe want a little of it and they then learn that a little bit of selfishness isn't so bad. Hmm. You know, to take care of the self and follow one's bliss is an example to other people. And as people do that, they become lifted and, and happy and joyful. And I really feel that's what life is about and that I'm saddened by, that, by how much misery there is. And I feel that if each of us took that personal responsibility, it would lessen that misery and increase our joy. Thank you. What a woman woman you are. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Thank you with all my heart for um, giving us this time together. Oh, thank you, Joanne. It's so my pleasure. I'm just thrilled to um, be part of your, your circle around the fire, and um, I'll be with you in spirit. <laughs> Good. Future Primitive is made possible by the Marion Institute. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider supporting our work by making your own tax-deductible contribution online at futureprimitive.org.